So what if I told you that you could go to the movies absolutely free with the aid of a little bit of technology? What's going on, everybody? This is Lauren Delisa Coleman, and you are now inside of another episode of Beats and Bites. And you're going to get the answer to that and so much more. How? Because I had the opportunity to interview in mid-festival um, the founder of the fabulous Urban World Film Festival, Stacy Spikes. You guys are going to love this because... He and I got the opportunity to talk about so many things at the intersection of emerging technology and film, not only about the festival, but a very special venture that he's actually relaunching in a new way, um, and also about the Innovation Day that's taking place during the festival. Now, if you're listening to this, um, the day that I dropped the episode, and everybody knows that's always Thursday, you still have the opportunity through Saturday to check out some of the films in person if you're here in New York or wanna, you know, in the tri-state area and want to come. Um, and also to just be able to be able to connect with people, you know, in person, like minds, and really be able to network. Um, but in addition to that, if you are outside of the area, you can, of course, finish listening to the episode, but also go on to Urban World um, or Urban World site and just be able to really get a deep sense of the films that are there, which are going to be featuring a lot of, you know, tomorrow's stars, as they say, and tomorrow's directors. I'm going to be... Um, covering the innovation day of the festival in a very unique way for my uh, innovation column for NASDAQ. And you guys know you can always look at that. Just go to NASDAQ, N-A-S-D-A-Q, and then, you know, my name, Lauren Delisa Coleman, it will pop up. So you don't want to miss that. Stacey and I talk about a little bit about it here, but, you know, I always keep all the content fresh to keep you guys as updated and give you as many insights as possible on different platforms. So that's for NASDAQ. And I have something slightly related to this episode that you don't want to miss inside of my LinkedIn newsletter, which you guys know I drop Tuesday morning, every morning. And if you haven't subscribed, don't forget, just go on to LinkedIn. And again, just search for my name, Lauren Delisa Coleman. So much going on. I'm just so excited about this space. Um, and I'll actually be giving you some maybe different analysis that I will not include for investors on NASDAQ like to kick off next week's podcast episode, and then we're going to get into some other things. So you just want to stay connected because as an innovation strategy consultant, you know that I am here um, really just to be able to keep you informed because I just want everybody to win as we move deeper and deeper into what's being called the fourth industrial revolution. It's critical, no matter whether you are an executive or a content creator or on the tech side itself, to be able to just get a more thorough 360 understanding of how people are thinking, um, what cultural context are, are many of these technologies sitting in, what's the point of view from the creator, what's the point of view from you know the marketing and, and strategy kind of mind, right? That's what I do. I love bringing it all together and being able to help really make great sense of this, whether I'm helping you know my direct clients on this or being able to write about it or, of course, here on the podcast. So... It is with great pleasure that I get ready to give you this interview with Stacy. And you guys, don't forget, now give me five stars if you like it, which how could you not? <laughs> and then also don't forget to follow because you definitely don't want to miss an episode. So much is happening out here so fast. Um, I know you guys even heard about, just quickly, um, the court ruling um, on this collective of fine artists um, around the usage of their material and AI and how that's going to be, of course, appealed and so much more. So, you know, really, there's just so much that you have to just like keep on top of it so that you make sure that you win, right? That's all there is to it. So enjoy this episode. Um, again, don't forget to rate it. And I hope that you have a great rest of the week. Here we go. Okay, so Stacy, can you introduce yourself um, for me and tell me about, for those few on the planet who don't know about Urban World Film Festival, give me kind of the, the top line of it and how old it is. Great. So my name is Stacy Spikes, and I am the original founder of the Urban World Film Festival. Uh, it is in its 27th year i have a tough time saying unbelievable that. um I, your listeners should know that i was only five years old when of I course started the festival um 
but it was born out of this, you know, back, back then, um, you would go to Sundance or to the other major festivals. And we had a rolling joke, those of us, it was like, we were the raisins in the milk. And there was very little presence for black and brown filmmakers. And um, it was this need to see more of ourselves. And so we had partnered with Vibe Magazine back at the time and said, we're gonna make the Black Can Film Festival. And um, it was set with that spirit in mind that we wanted to make sure that groups that weren't getting to play normally on the field had their own home and a place to shine. And that was the spirit and the genesis of it. And after all of these years, we still need it. Um, it's helped a lot. It's helped make some pretty substantial careers, but we still have a need for it. We still have to fight to make sure that our stories are on the screen and being told. And um, now we're adding innovation into that because technology and how to tell those stories is moving so fast that we feel that, you know, urban world innovation, we have to add that to make sure those tools are at this community's fingertips. It's so vital. Well, first of all, let me just say congratulations, because, you know, I think a lot of people attend these types of things and it's fun and it's productive, um, but they don't realize what it's like to put it on. Right. And so, I mean, I haven't, you know, ever been a, a part of something maybe this large, but I know even when I did like a, a two day future of storytelling, looking specifically at this um, area of intersection of emerging technology and um, entertainment at Sundance right before the pandemic, January 2020, you know, even just two days for a smaller, intimate invitation only um, group of, like, you know, back to back panels, et cetera. It is very, very demanding. So congratulations for being able to just stay alive and stay sane um, for that number of years. I believe you, is your founding sponsor still to this day, Warner, well, was Warner Brothers, then Warner <laughs> media now warner brothers discovery but warner jack warner's little project right yeah. it was at the beginning no or no yeah so hbo was our very first sponsor and they are still with us to this day and so it's really a testament to not only that uh institution's commitment to diverse storytelling mm -hmm. and the talent around it and they have a long view of time and many of the talent have gone into that system and, you know, created content for the mothership. But um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's probably great. through like probably 5150. That's and exactly all that, correct. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they, they know what they're doing when they're keeping their hands on the pulse of the next Ava DuVernay and the next Tim story and the next Malcolm Lee and where's Rosaria Dawson going to come from and Kerry Washington. And I mean, all of them were, kids running around urban world um you know many moons ago and yet now they're established stakeholders in the business who are making moves and making content uh, happen so exciting yeah. so yeah let's get right to the innovation part of this is this the first year for this I, or not no so we've been doing innovation probably almost for 10 years now and really? it's, it was yeah so it was a breakout i feel day. like there's more like spotlight on it though right now maybe it's the convergence of yeah. the whole conversation yeah the the conversation we were having a while back and quite often it used to be what's a way to help get your film visible and a lot of the social media context. And I remember one of the first panels we had done was HBO talking about Game of Thrones and being able in the to the live chat during it and how they were able to uh, launch it and screen it in a stadium and then play it on the channel. And there was these, you know, convergence of these technologies. Um, and so we've constantly tried to stay on the cutting edge and, and keep it in storytelling and not go, well, if it's not happening on the screen, we don't want to talk about it. So it's how do you make sure those tools are front of mind for this talent that's coming through so that, hey, are you thinking about storytelling in VR where now I can tell a story in full 360? I can have my my audience turn around and see something behind them. 
Um, are you telling stories? You know, we look at it from a story is told on TikToks, TikToks and in, in it's under a minute to episodic, you know, series. Everything in between is story. Or episodes on TikTok, right? To get Correct. really crazy with it, right? Correct. So if you want to, you know, keep, when you started seeing filmmakers shooting movies on iPhones and telling stories from a very unique mobile device perspective, um, and very established directors starting to do that, you, 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 you keep the storytelling fresh. And so that's what we've tried to do. Um, we've always had an innovation day over the last 10 years. It's usually been a single day and we try and make it very concentrated. So this year, we're going to be talking about how to use AI to create, you know, the, the ceiling is coming down of cost to be able to world build and create and get your thoughts out where before you went in front of some people and said, Imagine Star Wars meets this, right? And that's mm -hmm. what you would do. Now it's, um, you know, you can show them more what you want to do because you can storyboard and develop it much further and it brings that cost down. So we want to make sure that we're, we're keeping those companies that want new emerging technologies being used by these people and then you also want them to be in contact with those businesses. So Meta um, has been a really big sponsor. Um, Visa was doing some, you know, some really big things last year. Um, we have OpenAI, who's a sponsor this year. Um, so people are understanding that this is an important market and important audience to be in front of. That's so great. Um, actually, Visa and OpenAI were just at New York Tech Week as well. So they're definitely making the rounds. Um, I'm excited to see them make them, though, for this demographic. What's your biggest hope, Stacey, that comes out of a, an innovation day at, at Urban World? And how do you think that this year, particularly with um, you know, the spotlight on AI to a certain extent, you know, Web3, certainly anything that's immersive, looking at spatial computing coming up and, you know, Apple's Vision Pro. What do you think, you know, you want to have, uh, I think, attendees take away most? Because I have been at a couple of other film festivals, which shall be nameless, and you're sitting there. And then, of course, I talk to people afterwards and see what their impressions are, different filmmakers. And they will say, well, I still don't really actually understand how to to use this? What does this mean? Because I think too often what happens is there are filmmakers who are pulled to talk about the film that they've made, you know, on, on VR or something like this, which at this stage is rather, you know, it's almost every day. Right. Um, but no matter. And so their experience is conveyed, but nothing really that's tactical. Right. Yeah. And so I'm wondering if that is, you know, part of your vision for your innovation day. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's really critical that the, the tool makers or the um, hardware makers, they want takeoff and traction, right? And they need audiences that can use the tools and will uh, showcase them. Um, at one point, Twitter, you know, largest driving audience was, I think, 25% African-American. Absolutely. And so, you know, saying this to all hardware and software companies playing in the storytelling space, if you want impact, you better have black and brown people as a cornerstone of your business model. If you do not, you are, you, your competition will leave you behind. Um, so them coming here and making sure that this community is seeing and showcasing those tools to them and making access to them very easy helps them. Um, early on, we had Twitter executives and we had um, Facebook executives and we had Alvin Bowles from Facebook and others. They were here. Mm -hmm. And so that is a very important thing. So yes, we want everyone to leave with exactly what they're both looking for which is connectivity, relationships, and a test bed where they can start playing with each other and testing things. 
that is the goal at the end of the day. We want people to leave with contacts. Mm -hmm. We want them to leave with ideas. We want them to leave with, I'll talk to you next week. So let's go work on this project together kind of stuff. Right. Right. Um, that's that's the stickiness that we try and create at Urban I think that that's great. Um, I'd love to know what your opinion is on this, because I was just reading this yesterday, of course, with the recent ruling, which will be appealed um, from the court on artists, um, and if, I should say fine artists and AI, et cetera. And so we're looking at this as being, I love how this writer um, kind of described this as FOMO versus FOGI, right? So fear of missing out, but fear of jumping in. Yeah. How do you think this might apply to today's filmmaker of color? Because like you said, I mean, we're always known for being um, consumers who out index, right? Um, if you look at who is in the metaverse first, it's, you know, Eminem and Snoop. If you look at when the conversation became quite um, serious around AI and music, it was because of Drake and The Weeknd, right? Not yeah. like The Doors or something. It's typically our kind of um, artwork, if you will, that yeah. drives a lot of this, but the ownership around it and kind of, you know, uh, I guess maybe first to market in terms of moving it really from a business point of view has tended to lag. I'm wondering if you could speak to that a little bit. I have this weird theory. We'll see if it plays out, but okay. here it is. I think that the movie industry is going to go through a similar experience that the music industry went with sampling and hip hop. So let me explain. So to the digital studio gave rise to two things. One, an artist didn't, an artist in Brooklyn did not in their apartment did not have the funding to go and record a 40 piece orchestra like Frank Sinatra. So sampling became a way to get there faster because I can't make it, I can't create it, I don't have the money, I don't have the budget, but I need to give credit where it came from and I'm gonna need to pay them something going forward. They're gonna, their work that they did helped me and it's it's going to help them going forward. So you have sampling rights, but you also have to pay for it. I mm -hmm. think you're going to get an empty software and you're a sci-fi filmmaker and you say, I love James Cameron. I love, you know, uh, Ridley Scott. I love, you know, Blade Runner and all this stuff. And you tell it, I want you to dump all of those movies in here. And now I'm going to sample, if you will. But I have to tell where my origin source material came from. And you can see where it is. And I have to make the IP holders aware of that, get approval, just like you had to do in the sampling world, and then go forward. And when you're paying homage or you're using certain things or lifting, even if it's worlds and environments, but they're going to get changed, but you have some world building rules, uh, like rules around vampires, rules around whatever, and you're going to put your own spin on it. But what that does is it allows the, the world to move faster. And that's what they had to do in music. It was, well, we don't want to tell this kid they can't do it, but we also want to get paid for what we built. And so I, for, I think that's one part that's coming. The other part is when you saw Prince at 15 years old submit an entirely finished album that one person made in his bedroom. He played all the instruments. He had a Tascam drum machine. He had a Korg one synthesizer. He was going into a MIDI recorder. That all, it brought everything down where... Barry Gordy had to put the Supremes in a studio, right? right. That's what a, and so I just finished doing a TED talk. And in the TED talk, I said that cinema will be changed. Movie making will be changed by AI the way human travel was changed by the airplane. And the reason for that is you're going to go higher, faster, and further 
than you ever could because the cost is about to radically come down. And the rise of hip hop and black music's exploded when you brought the cost down. So what it's going to do is it's going to affect black and brown community storytelling in a way that right now filmmaking is still a rich person's game. You need millions of dollars to go get that done. And the gatekeepers have to tell you what it needs to look like. But when you unlock that, you're going to have a throwback to the Spike Lees and the John Singletons, and you're going to start seeing content unhinge. And so that's what I think AI is about to do. And that storytelling and those tools we want to make sure is in the hands of this community. I think it's a fascinating um, fascinating point of view. I guess like maybe final question is if... We're looking at investors. Where would you say that they should place their bets then? Are they on the filmmakers? Is it on the devices? Is it on software? Is it still with the studios? Because then should your vision take place, then where do the studios kind of start to end up? This is a you know very interesting, it's an entire paradigm shift, right? So I, I, I I'm going to have a, odd answer it's a little bit of self-promotion but here goes go for it that's that, very hip-hop we love hip-hop so, so, so here's if you look at what's happened if you look at the hotel industry there was a software solution that came in called airbnb if you looked at it at, at uh, taxi and limousine there was a software solution called uber and lyft these companies were these software solutions. The thing that's still broken about, I I have a saying, people find it somewhat controversial. I say making a movie is easy, getting people to see it is hard. And so there are, Sundance gets like 3000 submissions a year, right? Urban World gets hundreds upon, you know, maybe approaching a thousand submissions a year. We show a hundred films, okay? And then of those, that hundred films, five or 10 of them are going to get some theatrical life. And so get, and then of those that get a theatrical life, 10% of all of those are ever going to make money back. So if I'm an investor, I want to own the software and AI innovation, not so much the content and not so much, because I can't get in the hardware game. You're not going to go compete against Meta's war chest. You're not going to go compete against Apple's new headset. You're not going to play that game, right? If you're an investor and you want to know where to bet, the disruption is going to be in the content creation and in the distribution. That's where we're about to see a vast disruption in seeing it and it getting the marketplace. And so MoviePass that we've created is that is what we think that disruption is. We're shortening the distance between creators and audience through technology. And that that that's what I would say is if you're trying to bet in the industry, look at look at the historicals with music and Spotify, Airbnb. All of these have one thing in common: they did not do brick and mortar. They did not do the classic build your build a recording studio, go sign artists. So they all were software solutions, and that's where we're about to have that disruption in the movie industry. And what about though on the the other side of the coin, so filmmakers themselves, et cetera, who might not be uh, kind of warm and, and cozy with you know technology, yeah. how can they maybe possibly get up to speed with this? Because I kind of think of it almost as you know each film almost being a startup, right? Yeah. Do you need to find essentially like you know your your co-founder in tech now to be able to become an independent filmmaker? Like, is that what what they're looking at? No, I, you know, filmmaking, I still think is easy. It's like making a song. You got to make something, you got to make. Go back to your, your TED talk though. If you say that you're going to be able to pull 
from a variety of different, so you're thinking that it's going to be so like user-friendly and the dashboard will just be that you can just pull this or that, that it really is just, uh, it's not, it's tech light, right? It's very- I, I, Yeah, I think, I think if you, here's a great example. I'm gonna use two filmmakers today. I'm gonna use James Cameron on one side and I'm gonna use Christopher Nolan on the other. I think however you like to make movies, whatever's comfortable for you, you do you. If you are in a room and you're green screen and everybody's in virtual worlds and that's what you do well, great. If you are handheld walking down the streets in New York with an iPhone on a rig on a little gimbal that you have that has its own built-in Steadicam, do that. If you like chase scenes and in tight cities and you want to sh shoot in Mumbai and you like that energy and that handheld feeling. So I, I think that that's not, that's so unique to each storyteller and how they see stories, what they're inspired by and what they do. The tools are out there for you to do it and the costs are coming down. When it comes to, so like a songwriter, whether, however Drake makes his songs, however Taylor Swift makes her songs, however Beyonce feels inspired to make their songs. At the end of the day, as the audience, we just want a, the lights to go down and feel entertained, right? However you get there, be knowledgeable about the tools that can bring your costs down. When I don't know if you got to see um, the, the movie, The Creator, the original budget for that was almost $300 million. When you see it, it's under $90 million. It's gorgeous. And yet that filmmaker shot on, you know, on a Sony FX3. And he shot, when you see his, his he's able to get things with John David where he's on the ground in the water shooting in a way that he couldn't have gotten that with a big IMAX camera, but yet he got it. James Cameron wants to shoot with the big rig straight into film. He shot straight into this camera. And yet they're both great. They're great movies. So that's why I'm saying I think it's personal to the filmmaker, how you want to tell stories. At the end of the day, you're going to need to entertain that you're going to convince people to plop down their $10, $15, to go see what you made. And you've got a, it's called show business. Um, how you want to do that, I think it's up to you. Sounds like though it could behoove the indie filmmaker, you know, to really get their tech game tight and know, know what's out here because they won't have access to those budgets right away. So interesting. It'll Final bring just the cost bonus, down. Yeah. Right. Final just bonus question. If you had to crystal ball, because, you know, of course the industry is saying that streaming is, over not over redefining itself reimagining itself what is your personal perspective on really just this whole like next level of of streaming in the industry yeah i look i don't mean to bust anybody's bubble but here goes when <laughs> the television outpaced when there were millions of tvs when there's 50 million tvs everyone said no one's going to go to the movies anymore. They're going to stay at home. They're going to watch television. Then it was, oh, here comes DVDs. DVD, VHS and DVD is here. That's it. Cinema's dead. Then it was streaming. And what a lot of people don't realize is movie going is the number one out of home entertainment activity in the world, no matter what country you go to, going to the movies is 10 times larger than all sporting events combined. So we like to go sit in the dark with people we ordinarily don't mix with, have the lights go down and go on an adventure. And what's very unique about the movie going experience is it's very similar to sporting events in that it doesn't come with a pause button, meaning when the adventure begins, you can't stop it. There's nothing you can do. You're going to go on the roller coaster ride with a bunch of people in the room with you. And 
Tavis Smiley, I was I was being interviewed by Tavis. I was on his show, and Tavis said, um, he said, <laughs> I love going to see movies in theaters, but I hate going to see horror movies in theaters with my people because we're too busy yelling at the screen that I can't hear what's going on. <laughs> and, but he was talking about the story. Right. He was talking about this experience and we we were talking about the film Nope. He was like, Yeah, I went to see Nope. I, I went into my part of town and everybody's nope, no, oh hell no, you know, and he's like and and but that's why we do it. And we we do that more than we go to church, you know, where we gather and it's the one thing that does that. And everyone through COVID kept talking about, I can't wait to go back to the movies. And so there's a whole resurgence. And so my TV can fit in my pocket. It'll never, and you can put endless amount of movies on it. It'll never replace me going into a theater. Just like go ask a soccer fan if being in that stadium is the same as watching it on on their phone. It's not the same thing. So you don't think that the studios then should have any or the the amount of apprehension that they have right now about just the models around streaming and all that? I think not that really, streaming, not really in terms of like kind of eating away at the theatrical experience in a theater, but just the models, the business models around streaming are coming into question right now. I think because we've all always said, especially for those of us who track this area of business, like how many streaming subscriptions can one buy and use? Right. And it's also streaming is not as profitable as you think. It's, you know, the, if you take let's let's take the quick trial that they did. So you take uh, Black Panther or um, Black Widow and you put it on channel day and date. So streaming is cable without the cable. Right. It's it's the same business. Right. So HBO was already there. But even when Time Warner and HBO, they knew how to separate and get you to bite the apple multiple times. So financially, if I have Black Panther and I can have a great theatrical run and then whatever period of time later I can have a online or streaming run, I'm now getting multiple bites of the apple. But the the DVD world was doing that a long time ago. Sometimes the DVD was six months apart. And sometimes it was 60 days apart because they knew the film didn't have a lot of legs and wasn't going to. So let's get this thing to video as quickly as possible. Um, I, I think those same dynamics are here. It's just everyone was chasing Netflix stock price more than the business model per se. Underneath the hood, you know, 10% of the titles are getting all the views and the long tail that has a long library, but it's not making the bulk of the money. Um, so I, I, I think that the once you start getting under these numbers, you're going to see it doesn't have the profitability that you think it does. So what do you think is next? Do you think it redefines itself or does it go into something else? No, I mean, I think these windows these windows have shifted. I think it's going to have a cooling down effect. Um, Netflix can only grow so much larger and faster that there is a ceiling there. Um, I think we saw Disney get to a hundred million in, in just a few months, which it took Netflix, you know, 10, 15 years to get there because um, of the library. But I think what we're what's going to benefit is I think filmmaking and cinema is going to benefit again because all of that talent ran over to streaming because streaming was writing really big checks. I think you're going to see storytelling coming back and you're going to see both of them being very strong players in the marketplace. Oh, that's interesting. That that it's it's going to rebound movie going and cinema. Uh, the fact that the subscription model is starting to drift into the theatrical window is getting people to go more. We're seeing a hundred percent lift when a person joins a movie going subscription service. And that's where most of the profitability is. If you want to make the movie industry very healthy, the math is if you get 30% of moviegoers to become subscribers, 
you will double the size of the movie industry. So it only requires 30%. You're only talking about, say, 30 to 60 million people, not even a big number compared to streamers. If you get that many people to become subscribers to theatrical, the, mo- <laughs> the movie industry will double in size. And is this the, the premise behind MoviePass? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we know we know that whether you're on AMC, Regal, or, or anything, you double your movie going. And so I don't care. I, I'm kind of like Elon with, you know, electric cars. I want to see electric cars for everybody. But if you get people to subscribe to the theatrical, they're committing to that relationship. And you take away the decision fatigue and you also make it easier for them because you kind of have insurance. It's like, well, I already paid for it, so I might as well go see it. And you're going to experiment more. And what we saw is the independents directly benefit more than anyone else when you introduce uh, streaming. I mean, when you introduce subscription. Subscription. And, and so I think just that, moviepass.com? Yeah. Yeah, so we're we're we have the largest theatrical footprint. So every movie, every theater is in our system. Where the ones who the AMC's and Regal, you can only go to theirs. With us, you can go anywhere. The other thing I think that's going to be radical that's coming is I think there is going to be a freemium model for the movie industry where uh, it's going to be ad supported but you're going to be able to go see it in theaters where you're going to watch the, the ad block separately and it's going to give you access to a free ticket and let you go. So let me, let me explain that. So I want to go see James Bond. James Bond has Heineken. It has Movado or uh, Omega watch. It has Aston Martin. It has Mercedes. It has Hugo Boss suits, all these brands that have been there for a long all time. Product placement. Those product placement brands want access to me as as a James Bond person who's going to go see them. Well, what I think is going to happen in the future is you're going to get a bundle of those brands and they're going to say, watch our branded content. Maybe it's a half hour. Watch our branded content. Give us feedback. Engage with us. And here's a movie ticket for free because it's a known secret that almost half of Hollywood's bigger budgets are underwritten by product placement deals. So if you can shorten the distance instead of that brand buying a spot on the Super Bowl, let them put the money in the ticket. And so that I think is, is a, that's a really interesting concept. And if it were able to take place and you, enriched it with a web three community around these brands or that now I can have an AR overlay of it and really interact and they can obtain data from it. Now this becomes, I think even more interesting. It's just a matter of coordinating that ecosystem. And that's where sometimes there's, there's challenge, right? So we have, so we have a, what we call a freemium model coming and we have the prototype already built um, oddly enough, in my in my office, oh God, let me just show oh, you. Oh, we just happen to have a visual. No, so oh, in okay. my office, it's sitting on this, and so you actually go in, and we've already built the world out, and so you would watch all of the branded content, and once I'm done, mm-hmm. it puts the voucher for your ticket in your Movie Pass account. And you go to any theater. So you figured out a whole business model. Wait, why didn't we start the whole conversation with, with this? This is a little bit bigger than Innovation yeah. Day. So wait, when is this rolling out? Or it has. We're, we're already. Stealth mode we're, or we're already. Alpha? We're already playing with it. It's all. It's already built, and so I have some finishing touches on it, and then I'm going to go show it to some of the brands. But it will make. It'll make the ability to have. So my thesis always was if cinema is going to be as big as video, it needs three things. It needs uh, the same three business models that video has. So video has transactional video on demand. It has subscription video on demand and it has ad supported video on demand. 
So if you can give, so we entered, we were the first ones to introduce subscription movie going, and now we're going to bring ad supported movie going. So I press, I go into the app and I say, I want to see James Bond. I don't want to pay for it. I'm going to get a, what we call a pre-show, a block. I get to watch it whenever I want. And when I'm done, it puts the virtual ticket in my account. And then I basically cash that as a voucher to any theater, anywhere I want. So now advertisers, so what happens is if Heineken pays for an ad on the Super Bowl, many of those people are not going to go see the movie. And it, there's no direct relation. Now you can benefit me as a brand directly and you're building brand loyalty with me. And you know, Stacy watched our stuff and he went to see our, the movie. We know when he went to see it because we're going to let him know, yep, he went to see the movie. And now we have a relationship that you close that leaky bucket. And so now for the first time, studios will be able to capture ad revenue, which is given away to third parties. So never in the history of the movie industry could the movie industry ever capture ad revenue on its own IP. Now we're going to make it that the studios can all capture their own ad revenue. Why do you think this took so long to come about? The technology didn't exist. But I mean, even a an infantile like level of it, even doing this across like say social back in the day or creating just a website where you could look at, at you know, content um, when even websites first started. You know, sometimes for larger films, you'll have a site or at least a landing page that's built out for the film. You can see the trailer, et cetera. This could have been done. Do you think this is more about um mindset and values and you know the idea of the the art of of, of filmmaking and all of that not I rather think, than commerce even though as you said it's obviously show business but there is this very distinct side of filmmaking that it is a high high art form you know and yeah. scorsese has said he is not into you know the whole streaming idea and all of that right so do you think that that's fought with a more sound business model like this yeah i i think that certain movies and certain brands the good thing about this is the brand can safely step further back like they don't need to push for i gotta have my on screen you know hold hold up the soda and see the so now they don't need that pressure because if they're doing this system they know that they're going to get the view that they're looking for and have the product tie in matter of fact when tom cruise uh, did the whole helicopter scene and he showed him flying the helicopter. Well, we know it's a Bell helicopter and all of the product placement, that's a show off for that company that they're going to go back to when they go around and they're selling helicopters. Here's Tom Cruise flying our product. It's so good and that he can do it. And look, he can do stunts and he can do barrel rolls. And so it's a two-way street that becomes more efficient for those content creators that want to play in that realm. If you don't, you know, if, if I make a skateboard film or if I make something, you know, you, you, you can use it or not use it. But again, it's another tool that gives you traction that can give you a lot of power if you do want to play it. Right. You know? and, and unlocking that with certain brands and partners and sponsors you know, partners like Red Bull and partners like, you know, computer companies. And, and you know, you get adoption when people see you using their product. If you remember in iRobot with Will Smith using the Motorola, that cl ear clip that, you know, product takes off. And so if you do those product placements and you school people, um, I remember when they had a film and um, uh, Harley was starting to work on uh, that soft tail that they changed the model and it looked, it was like, wow, that doesn't look like a Harley. And they started playing with the electric things. They featured them in films. And we know films is a huge way to get product takeoff. 
Look at Tom Cruise with Ray-Ban and Risky Business. Look at him on this, hanging on the side of the cliff with Oakley glasses. Um, look at Birkenstocks and, and um, Barbie, right? There is a deep relationship between Hollywood and product. And it, it's, it's a known, wealthy, functioning relationship. And I think being able to unlock a freemium product is going to take off. And so we've, we've, at some point, I'm happy to show it to you. Um, it would be great. Yeah. Did you guys have to raise additional investment for this? Did you just kind of pull from the Urban World War Chest? Like how, trying to get a sense of how big it, of a it's out of, it's out of the, it. It's out of the movie pass monies. Got it. Yeah, so I did it all through through movie pass, but we have the prototype built out. Um, but yeah, I can I can show you it. It's so we're we're not that far away from being able to How interesting. deploy it. I figure Q one to Q two we're going to twenty twenty four. Yep. Just to play devil's advocate though for a moment, because um I think I actually even did this, but I cannot remember the name of it. But was there not like a subscription service that was around a few years ago? Yeah. And then it had trouble getting traction, went away, tried to come back. And I didn't didn't hear what happened after it came back. But the subscription idea has been out there. Why do you think that you guys have the the secret sauce this time to get it to hold? Yeah. So we so we did the first one, and then my partner and I had an exit. We had a private equity group that bought the company. Um, it went up to in a single year. It went up to uh, three point five million users. It was worth half a billion dollars, and it had five to six percent of all the ticket sales in a single year so it was successful the then name movie pass but it was movie pass as well yeah. but there, pass, I thought there was movie something pass else was though. The first so movie pass was the first and then amc regal and cinemark made copies of it right that's different and then and then it went bankrupt and then last fall i bought it back we raised capital and we've relaunched it. And so we're already, the traction is great. I mean, and the stuff that I'm telling you that's coming, the stuff that's coming is sick. It's it's such a leapfrog about what's about to happen. Um, but, you know, oh, you have I to thought raise- it was something actually completely um, no. different, but it was called MoviePass. I thought it had, had a different name. I can't really remember. It was a company I thought called- like, wow, this is brilliant. Why not? Yeah. And yep. then it just kind of went away. But if it had yeah, all it went, that traction, what happened? Yeah, it went bankrupt. Um, so the private equity group mismanaged it. They put the price at $10 a month. When I was CEO, it was $30 a month. It was less than a single ticket. So there was no way for it to be sustainable. This is why they always say, be wary of PE investment. Yeah, yeah. So they thought they knew better. And, and um, so... That happened, and HBO is actually releasing a documentary about the whole thing. Mark Wahlberg made a doc, and it's, um, I think it's going to premiere at Sundance, and then it'll be on the channel, I think, in February. No way. Yeah. You're going to be immortalized then? Yes. Yeah. Okay, wait. Am I hearing this, like, first? Or maybe one of them? No, the no. No, it's, they, there, was, uh, there was some announcements that Mark Wahlberg was making the movie past doc. It, it That's going to be interesting. Yeah. So there's a whole documentary. You behind the scenes, like um, the, the documentary that was made about the, the late show and Letterman yeah. and all that stuff. People like to see the behind the scenes of the yeah. industry because you don't get to unless you're within it. So yeah. And, and, uh, and that came out because I, I, and part of it, they optioned it, but this just came out in February. So for those who are listening this via audio, he's holding up a book, Stacy yes. Spikes. Name of it, please. Black Founder, The Hidden Power of Being an Outsider. Love it. Love yeah. it. Well, I have kept you, I think, double the time. Thank you for being so gracious. But, you know, once you started talking about MoviePass and that whole model, I was like, hold on. Sorry, we've got yeah, to get into this yeah. a little bit. Um, anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Um, come to the festival. It starts today and um, it goes through to the 5th. And it's a really wonderful experience. Even if you don't know what you want, show up, ask the staff, what should I see? You get to experience 
um, something that's really unique. You get to experience a marketplace, a place where things are being born. There's in the lobby, there's, you know, actors and directors and producers talking to each other that two years later, they're going to come back and there's going to be a film that premieres and you get to be in the middle of it and you feel it. And it's a very exciting environment. So if you want to take the weekend to do something that'll leave your heart in a great place, and you also get to see some films that deserve to be seen that some will and some won't, but they're extraordinary works. And the the talent that we have is, you're going to see uh, Tomorrow's Stars and you can say, oh, I saw them win. And let's face it, any conference that has RZA as... <laughs> Kind of, you know, what yeah, the festival, ambassador, ambassador. if you will. Yeah. You're like, okay, that's that's kind of a hot move. Stacy, yeah. thank you so much. I wish you continued success. Thank you for taking time out in the midst of everything. Shout out to your team for being able to create this this time for us. And um, I look forward to hopefully bumping into you in person out and about. Awesome. Thanks, Lauren. Okay. Have a great day.